radio.org.au. Q&A with Archbishop Julian Porteous. Hello once again dear friends and welcome to another episode of Question and Answer with Archbishop Julian. And you have with you Jovina Graham. Hello. And myself Jeremy Ambrose and of course our new Archbishop of Hobart, Archbishop Julian Fortius. <laughs> so Archbishop Julian, recently we have had something that you don't hear of every day, a co- colloquium on the charisma. Say that's that ten a, times fast. Yeah, a colloquium on the colloquium on the <laughs> a colloquium on the charisma. It's it's quite a, a striking word, the charisma. Can you start by, I guess, telling us well, what is the charisma? Yes, in in Sydney, there's um, our office for evangelization called Crater puts on uh, what we call these colloquiums. They they basically times they come together to talk about a particular aspect of evangelization. So. This was the fifth of these colloquiums. They're held every couple of years. And, and uh, we normally invite in some speakers and, uh, and also some uh, people from around Australia to, uh, to contribute to a particular discussion on a particular topic. So this year, the decision was made that we would uh, focus on the charisma. Um, and, and I suppose immediately... The word charisma is a bit of a, perhaps a mysterious word to mm. many. Essentially, the word itself comes from it's, it's Greek and it basically means preaching. It can either mean the, the act of preaching, the charisma, or it can mean the content of preaching. Now, in a way, we were focusing on the content. So we were really wanting to look at what makes up the fundamental message that... Uh, the church uh, wants to convey to the world today. So we talk about the call to evangelize, we talk about the new evangelization, everybody's heard those words, and we know that we, we should be presenting the gospel, again, a word that we're very familiar with. The word charisma actually refers to the, the more specific content of what is actually conveyed through preaching and teaching when we are involved in evangelization. And it's rather interesting in a way, um, and maybe this might tease it out a little bit more, because when you look at the charisma, maybe first thing we'd say, well, where would we go to find what is the content of the charisma? And, and, and maybe we would say, well, surely we should look at what Jesus, what was his essential message, that what was the charisma that Jesus presented? And there's probably no better description of that than the description of his first proclamation, which was repent and believe that the kingdom of God is close at hand. We could say that that repent and believe the kingdom of God is close at hand was the message, was the content, was the actual mm-hmm. thing that, that Jesus himself wanted to convey. It's, it's interesting just to, when we look at that, just to go back a little further to look at the other charisma that was significant at this time. That was the charisma of John the Baptist. 
See, John the Baptist spoke in similar terms. He spoke about the fact that, that we need to repent, and he would say to people, you must go and, and, and wash in the Jordan River as a sign of your desire to repent, to, to be washed clean of your sins, to orient your life back more towards God. The reason he said that was because the Messiah is about to come, prepare a way for the Lord. So he was, he was sort of saying, and of course the focus of his charisma was repentance, um, because the Messiah is coming, prepare a way for the Lord. He knew that was his particular uh, role, his particular mission. And, and in a way we can see how Jesus, if you like, in his initial proclamation, his initial charisma, built on the charisma of John the Baptist saying, to saying repent, using the same word, but then say the kingdom of God is close at hand. The Messiah has come. You know, he's saying, I am the Messiah and I've come to bring in the kingdom of God. So that was the charisma, uh, if you like, that was a very succinct expression of the charisma that Jesus himself took. And then we can see this, this expanded then in the teaching of Jesus when he uses various parables, the kingdom of God is like, like a mustard seed, like leaven in dough, uh, use all these sorts of images talking about the kingdom of God. So that was very much the content of the charisma of Jesus. So we can ask ourselves that very interesting question then. Well, should that be what we proclaim today? So should we as a church be saying, repent and believe for the kingdom of God is close at hand? So let's take another step now and say, well, how did the church first proclaim the kerygma? What was the content of the kerygma? And the best place to go for that is the very first Christian proclamation of the gospel, which took place at Pentecost after the Holy Spirit came down upon the disciples. St. Peter went out, opened up the doors of the room where they were. There was a large crowd had gathered outside and he gave the first Christian kerygma. Now, what did he say? He said, people of Jerusalem, I want to tell you about Jesus of Nazareth, whom you crucified. He has risen from the dead. He is Lord and Christ. So in other words, the content of the Christian charisma was the content of proclaiming Jesus Christ, who, who not only was the incarnate Son of God, but more particularly, he died. He died because of our sins. He was risen from the dead. He's the Lord and Christ. He's the source and means of salvation. So if you like, the kingdom of God that, that, um, that Jesus himself spoke about is now going to be entered into, able to be received into our own lives in and through Christ, in, particularly in and through his death and, and resurrection. So the charisma of the church is to proclaim Christ. So in one sense, we can see a progression a natural progression, but a very appropriate pro progression in the charisma from John the Baptist to Jesus and then finally uh, to the church itself. And as we look at the, the teaching, preaching of St. Paul, we see this further exemplified. You know, he, The Christian church proclaims Christ as the, the means and source of, of salvation. So that's very briefly what the kerygma is about. And this is what we explored in, the, um, in this particular um, colloquium. And I think it was a very interesting uh, exploration. Bishop Julian, for those, for those out there who read the gospel regularly, they might say, well, 
Yes, I've read these stories. But why is it important now to focus on the particular, on the kerygma itself? Yes, I, that's, that's a very good question. In other words, I suppose what it's saying is, what is it that is at the very heart of the Christian proclamation to the world that really is the very heart of our faith as Catholics. Mm. And I think many Catholics would actually struggle to, to identify that. They might say, well, you know, for me to be Catholic is to believe in God and, and to lead a good life. You know, yeah. I think a lot of people would probably define being Catholic a little bit like that. So if you say, well, what does the church pr proclaim? Well, the church says we should believe in God and the church says we should lead a good life. So an essential belief in the existence of a transcendent, transcendental being um, and that we should then follow maybe the, the Ten Commandments or the teachings of Jesus or so on in the way we should live a, good, a true life. Now, I think that doesn't really get to the heart, and I would say to the power of the kerygma. And, and I think why we need to focus upon this is because particularly as we're now called to engage in the new evangelization, we're called to, to witness to our faith in the world, we're called to be means by which other people come to faith. It's obviously very important for Catholics that we really understand what is the essential message. And I would suggest what is the power of the message um, in a way to say to somebody, look, you should believe in God and lead a good life. They say, well, I sort of believe in God, yeah. There's something out there I believe, you know. And, uh, yeah, look, I'm trying to lead a good life. So they might say, well, so what? What's Christianity got to offer me? I'm sort of doing that already. And I think that sells the gospel far, far short. Mm. And I think it's firstly important for us as Catholics to understand the kerygma more so that we firstly know, I keep using this word, so we really know what the power, because that's what St. Paul was saying. The, 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 the gospel is not just words, the gospel is power. The gospel actually has the capacity to change lives, not just give good ideas, not just present even noble and lofty ideals of how to live, you know, great moral examples or, or whatever. But St. Paul would say, no, the gospel is the power of God to save. And, and so we need to understand that, that, that the Christian gospel, the kerygma, uh, is a far more profound reality than I think many people understand today. So that's why we were exploring uh, this idea, what, what is the kerygma, and particularly understanding its essence and what is its power. So Archbishop Julian, how can we present this gospel today? I think I think the first thing is all of us. If if we if we realise that we are being called to evangelise, if we're called, we realise we are being called to witness to the truth in the world. It's so important, firstly, that we, if you like, understand what it really means to be a Catholic, what it really means to be a Christian, and in this, I think there are a number of component elements that I think uh, are vital to understand. The first one I think that is important, and, and I think it, these days it really does need to be a key starting point in talking about the kerygma, is the fact of presenting the nature of God. And the Christian understanding of God is very, very distinctive. We say, as St John says constantly, 
God is love. God is just not an impersonal force. God is not just somehow some kind of nebulous spiritual reality. God is love. God actually loves. Loves not only everything in general, but loves each person individually. And that love was such that God would, would go to the extraordinary extent of sending his own son to be born amongst us and that son would eventually take a path and accept the path to suffering for us. This was the depth of love. And I think uh, for, to, talk about the, to talk to people about the love of God, we, in, in the end we have to say, look at the cross. This is how much God loves the world. That famous phrase oft quoted from St. John, God loves the world so much that he sent his only son, not to condemn the world, but so that through him the world might be saved. You know, that, that this was the essential reality of the love of God for us. So that's an important beginning point, I think, we, if we're going to talk to people today, because I don't think many people really understand the true nature of God. And many people today have vague notions about God. And I think we have to say, look, this is the God revealed to us, finally and completely in and through Jesus Christ, a God who is a God of mercy and compassion, and a God who came to save. Now, I think we have to go further than that, and I think we have to sort of say, because I mentioned the word save, God came to save us. And people say, well, why do we need saving? You know, I mean, I'm doing all right. I'm, you know, I'm leading a good life. You know, people talk like that and think, you know, I don't really need to be saved. I'm sure I could probably improve a bit. I could be a bit better. But this whole question of salvation is is a is a very important question. And I think today this needs to be focused when we talk about the kerygma. You know, why do we need to be saved? And And in this regard... I think one of the things we have to talk about, and this is not a subject that people like to talk about, but I think we have to talk about sin. I don't think we can understand the meaning of the coming of Christ and the meaning of Christ's death on the cross without understanding the reality of sin. And if you like, we need to help people not dismiss sin too lightly. I think people say, oh, look, God understands, you know, look, it wasn't all that bad. and You know, people tend to diminish the seriousness of sin or um, or quickly make excuses or rationalizations for sin and say look sin's not that important and, and so on I think we do need to sort of say now let's let's have a let's have a good hard look at this reality of sin and, and not dismiss sin too lightly and particularly not think that I can manage to, to get over sin myself you know and I think we have to take a realistic look. I mean, when we look at human life, we see the terrible presence of evil, destructive evil in people's lives. I mean, that's sin. That's the power of evil. It's real. It's destructive. It is destroying people's lives. Some people might think they're managing reasonably well. But sin is a, is a power. And, and God considers sin such a terrible, destructive thing that he went to the extraordinary length of dying on the cross to free us from the power of sin. So I think one of the things we do need to talk about sin is sin and to say to, to people, in the end, I think every one of us needs to reach that point where we're able to very honestly say, I am a sinner. What we do at the beginning of Mass, you know, every beginning of Mass, we 
And I think it's really good now at the beginning of Mass when we say the Confidio, I say, through my fault, through my fault, through my most grievous fault. You know, I don't make excuses. I don't make rationalizations. I don't dismiss the fact that I am a sinner, I have sinned, I'm genuinely sorry for my sin. It's, that's the faith of the church. It's the understanding that we have of the reality of sin in our lives. So I think that needs to be addressed in terms of the charisma. Because I think unless people recognize the reality of sin and how how terrible it is in God's eyes, even if we can't see it ourselves as how terrible it is, when we think of the crucified Christ, we can say, that's what God did because of the reality of sin. So how much more seriously should I take sin in my own life if that's how seriously God takes sin? So I think that's an area we have to we have to look at and and in a way to understand, too, that in the end we can't save ourselves. And this is a, a big issue today. Everybody uh, in the world today tends to think that they can manage by themselves. I think that's a part of the culture of our day, part of the attitudes that people take on today. I can manage okay myself. I often like to say to people, when we die, will you still be in control? And of course, we're not. And I think people often think, well, you know, God will look after me, God will take me up into heaven and, and so on. We can't make any claims or, or, or demand any rights with regard to eternal life. Um, life itself is a gift. Eternal life in union with God is a gift. It's not something we ourselves in any way can claim and we certainly are completely and totally powerless in the face of death. So there's nothing we can do about it. We can't control our destiny when we die. Uh, we are in the hands of God. God is the one who can save us out of death. God is the one who can raise us to life out of death. And, and so this whole question of salvation is a very important one today. And basically, that's what Christ did on the cross. He died, but then he rose again. And the promise for us is that if we unite ourselves with Christ in his death, we'll also be united with him in his resurrection. It's fundamental to the Catholic faith. As we say in the acclamations after the consecration, dying, you destroyed our death. Rising, you restored our life. So it's what Christ did on the cross in his death and resurrection that then is a gift for us, but it's a gift. It's not something we can claim. And so in the end, our prayer, I think, can only ever be, Lord, have mercy on my soul. Uh, we're completely dependent upon God's mercy in the end. So these are truths. These are realities. This, this is the essence of the, the Christian gospel, the charisma that we need to present. And I, and I think the ch great challenge today is to, to actually effectively present this charisma in such a way that it does release the power of God to save in people's lives. So people do allow themselves, if you like, to surrender to what God has done for us in Christ in such a way the power of God will raise us up. And this, this is what I believe is so important today. We need to rediscover the power of the gospel the, the, the truth of the charisma and find the ways of presenting it in our preaching, our teaching, our witnessing in such a way that people can come 
under the power of the gospel. So this was what we were exploring a little <laughs> in our colloquium, but I think it's an issue of great importance today. We've just heard the whole charisma summarised within 20 minutes. <laughs> Thank you, Your Grace. Thank you very much, Archbishop Julian. And here's another episode of Question and Answer with Archbishop Julian coming to an end. We'll see you next time. You've been listening to Q&A with Archbishop Julian Porteous. For more episodes or to submit your questions for the Archbishop, visit cradio.org.au.